Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is January 31, and our chapter for today is Exodus 5. Well, as you can already tell, as we start through this journey of the confrontation with Pharaoh, that the people who first have to be convinced that God is set on delivering his people are the people themselves and the leaders, Moses and Aaron. It is amazing the pains that God takes to show Moses that he can do anything, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he has truly called him to be the deliverer of the people. It is amazing the wonderful graciousness and mercy of God upon Moses here and then upon the people. You see, the same signs that God is going to perform before Pharaoh, he first has to perform before the Israelites so they will believe. Now, this not only was true then, that's true now. God has to convince his people that he is God before they can ever convince anyone else that he is God. This is what is called revival. You see, God has to do something in us before he can do something through us. I talk with so many young men, especially, that they're always wanting to do something, be active. We've got to feed the poor. We've got to witness. We've got to go. We've got to be active in missions because that's the only way they can feel value and worth. But if they would just slow down enough and understand that they need to learn to walk with God because being comes before doing. Who we are in Christ must be grasped before we can ever really do anything in Jesus' name that has an eternal impact. Oh, God may use even the most stubborn of us. In times of stubbornness, God is so gracious. But even God says there's a limit to my grace and mercy to the individual. And so there is this great need for God's people to be convinced that God can do anything and will do anything to accomplish his plan. But we can't convince anybody because we're not convinced ourselves. We really don't believe it. I can't even tell you how many times in my ministry that people have said, will you pray for God to heal my mom, my dad, my wife, my husband, my son, my daughter, and God heals them. And then they start talking about all of these different ways of how it could have happened. And they try to explain away the miracle. And there is no explanation. We try to convince ourselves that it was this doctor doing this. God may have used that, but if we ask God to heal and he heals, can we just not stop and say, God, thank you for healing? If you use this, fine. If you just supernaturally intervene, that's fine. But you see, we don't believe it ourselves. We just ask for prayer. It's like throwing up something like a football pass at the end, a long pass they call to Hail Mary, which is unfortunate, but it's up for grabs. And if it happens, it happens. That's not prayer. That's not believing prayer. That's not trusting prayer. 
Well, this is exactly what was happening with Moses, and that's what 3 and 4 is all about, God trying to convince Moses, I am the God of your fathers, and I can do anything, and I'm going to do something, and I'm going to use you even if you're unwilling. So you come to chapter 5, and God has used four chapters convincing Moses that he has his hand upon him. But something before we get into chapter 5 that is an amazing story, when you get to chapter 4 and verse 24, God met Moses on the way and was going to kill him on the way. I mean, you know, it's a strange happening. It's very brief, so we don't get a lot of detail. But what seems to happen here is that Moses, in all of his passiveness and not wanting to be the leader in his home and not wanting to do what God says, remember, he was running away. He'd rather stay on the backside of the desert than do anything even though he'd been given great opportunities. And so evidently, there had been the birth of this son, and he had not even circumcised him, which was the sign of the covenant. So it was more than likely because Zipporah is the one that had to do it that Moses was not going to do it, probably because Zipporah did not want it. Remember, she was not part of the covenant community. She was not one that went along with the circumcision. So she probably said, I don't want our son circumcised. And Moses, the wimpy leader that he was, and he was. Now you say, well, wait just a minute. He was the greatest. Well, he was reluctant. And if you say anything other than that after the reading of Scripture, I don't even know what to say to you. He was a reluctant leader. Was he a great man of God? Yes, he was. Did he grow? Yes, just like all of us. But he was reluctant. I mean, all you have to do is read these chapters and you see that. And over and over again, he grew into the position, which most do. But we see his flaws right up front, and we see it in his home. And it came to the point, evidently, Moses, God was going to kill him right there on the spot, and he was either so sick that he couldn't do it or whatever the case was, but he couldn't even circumcise his own son. And Zipporah did it and threw the foreskin at Moses' feet and said, you are a man of blood because of this circumcision thing. Now, that wasn't the kind of wife that she needed, but she did save Moses' life because God healed Moses. The confrontation stopped, and he went on with his business. So you say, what does all that mean? Well, I just told you the best I know how. And so we get into chapter 5, and now the confrontation is beginning. His first encounter with Pharaoh went just as God said it was. Isn't it amazing? God knows everything's going to happen. That's just amazing. Now, please understand, because we're going to go through a lot of this in the months ahead. Let me just understand this about God's foreknowledge and God's election and God's sovereignty. When God ordains something to happen, of course it's going to happen. But when God ordains something to happen, he also ordains the means whereby it will happen, and it will not happen, whatever it is that he's ordained, without following through with the means. In other words, how are people saved? They're saved by trusting in Jesus. They're saved by putting their whole weight upon the promises of God, upon the word of God, upon the covenant that we enter into. In other words, God has ordained that nobody is going to be saved without trusting him. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
God has ordained that in relationship to whatever is happening, that if we do not pray, we're, it's not going to happen. You say, well, I thought you said it's going to happen. Yes, it'll happen when we pray. You say, well, that's confusing me. Well, it is confusing. After all, our brain compared to God is not even a peanut. He is totally above us. He's totally transcendent. His ways are not our ways. Our ways are not his ways. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. And you can't figure all this stuff out. You just have to take God's word and trust God that he is God Almighty. Because there are some things that in this life we're not going to understand, but God says, trust me. And so we have to trust him. And when we trust him and we obey him, God does exactly what he had planned to do all along. It is just the means whereby we are saved. Even faith itself is a gift from God. It's the hands that reach out and receive. I cannot explain all of the great sovereignty of God, but I can tell you that with everything that God ordains, he ordains a means whereby we receive whatever it is that he has promised. And so you can read through the book of Hebrews and chapter 11 and find out more about that. But here is chapter 5 and the confrontation with Pharaoh. And Moses said, let my people go. The Lord Hashem has said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is Hashem? Who is YHVH? You tell me his name. I don't know who he is. Well, he's about to find out who he is. And he said, who am I that I should obey a voice and let Israel go? And so you know what he did? He turned around and instead of doing what God said, he hardened his heart. And he said, well, it takes straw and mud to make bricks, and we've been providing straw for you so you could make these bricks uh, stronger. And so from now on, you're going to have to go out and cut the straw yourself, find it, cut it, because we're not going to provide this well. No straw, that means more work, that means less time off, whatever they had. And this, it seems, backfires, and the people of Israel were absolutely livid. Uh, It says in verse 20, Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses, that is, these people who were in leadership that had to have such a tally of bricks every day, and they had to continue to have that tally of bricks, but now they had to take some of the workers and make them go find straw, bring it in because it wasn't provided because of Moses and Aaron. And so it says they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them when they came out from Pharaoh because Pharaoh had called in the leadership and said, you must have time on your hands because you've got so much time that you're trying to get out of work and sending one of your own. And they said to them, let the Lord look upon you. And they use God's personal name and judge you because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of the servants to put a sword in their hands to kill us. Now, this is the first of what's going to be many, I mean many times when they are going to say, what have you done? They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. God parted the Red Sea. God killed the firstborn in Egypt. God did these nine other plagues that it was a miraculous intervention from heaven. Ten plagues in all. It was obvious God had separated the Egyptians from the Israelites. The Israelites saw all of that. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw manna from heaven. They saw water from the rock. And yet, what 
did they do? Complain and murmur, complain and murmur. You've brought us out here to kill us, to starve us to death. We die of thirst. There's nothing. Every time something came up, it was not what have you done, but what have you done for me lately? And this was the kind of people that God chose to be the instrument of salvation to the world. It magnifies the grace of God over and over again. God didn't choose the best people. It looked like that he chose the worst. He said, you are the most stubborn people on the planet. You are a stiff-necked people above all else. The Jews are a favored people. They are supernaturally created. But any Jew will tell you that they are a stubborn and self-willed people. But that magnifies the grace of God. You see, God is so good to us, and he does what no one else can do, and he uses the people that no one else would use. God chooses the base things, the rejects of society and culture, the lowest things. You say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so, and because from a very secondary sense, I am one of those. I am a reject. I am one that was cast aside. I am like a discard. Nobody wanted us. They didn't want my two brothers. They didn't want me. They didn't want to have anything to do with us. Mom and dad went their own way, and we were left alone. And all to say, the Bible says, when mother and father forsake you, I will take you up. God is looking for that orphan. God is looking for that reject. Why? Because... It is not the high and mighty that God uses. Most of the time in Scripture, it is the nobodies because God really can make nobodies somebodies. That's a miracle. And we need to understand Moses was the most unlikely to succeed. That's why he was on the backside of the desert. He had all of these things, but yet he was slow of speech. He was passive. He was not the one you would want to choose, but God saw something in him. Aren't you glad God sees something in you that nobody else sees? And here he is confronting the most powerful man on earth, and God assures their deliverance. When these people came and started complaining, so Moses returned to the Lord, this is verse 22, and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you sent me? I mean, he's beginning to question himself. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to these people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. I mean, here's what he said to God. You, hadn't, you have not lifted a finger to deliver these people. Now, can you believe he talked to God like that? It's amazing. Then the Lord said to Moses, now we're getting in chapter 6, then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. He said, Moses, not only is he going to let you go, he's going to ask you to leave. Matter of fact, he's going to insist that you leave. You see, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And he does this while we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. 
Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.